the top of building entire just crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I I really need to leave. So the fences informed me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I I see some people running now. And the opinion of this reporter, if this nation or in fact the world ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. Episode of Aquaman and Firestorm, the Fire and Water Podcast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm one of your hosts, Theodore Demelshag, and along me, as always, is my co-host, the super giant DC Rob Kelly. How you doing, buddy? It's kind of amazing to think that we did like seven years of this show every week, and now we do two in a row. And I'm like, woohoo! We're really on a roll here. <laughs> Someone left a comment like that show's still going. So, <laughs> yes, it is, and we still love Aquaman and Firestorm. We just we've said so much about them. It's hard to find something to light our passion, and we found something for this discussion to light our passion. So we're back, and uh, we'll do more. We will be doing more. In fact, we're making plans for some other episodes in the near future. Ah, man. So October's in the air. Halloween's around the corner. Do you have your old Aquaman costume, the one, the, the old school plastic vinyl one ready to go? I can barely fit into it, but the mask uh, counts as COVID covering. So it all works out. <laughs> Absolutely perfect. Absolutely perfect. Well, do you want to tell the people at home what we're covering, Rob? Yeah, we're going to be talking about a kind of unique thing, and it's a uh, an issue of the DC series Super DC Giant, and we'll get into the history of this book in a little bit early, but it's the all-Aquaman issue of Super DC Giant, number S26, and it's, it's fun to be talking about Aquaman again. I don't remember the last time we did that. <laughs> well, I, I'm excited about this because I... I owned this issue very early in my Aquaman collecting because I, I started my my down the rabbit hole of becoming an active Aquaman collector around 89 or so. Like when I decided I'm going to be an Aquaman collector now. It was like a literally a conscious decision. And, uh, and you know the story. It was it was uh, Aquaman 56, the, the, mm-hmm. the monster that devoured Detroit, sealed mm-hmm. the deal. But um, I, I picked up this one probably in like a 50-cent bin pretty early on. So this might have been some of my earliest exposure, this and the Secret Origins issue, of early Aquaman stories and uh, maybe this is what drove my passion to go get those microfiche in a microfiche projector <laughs> it's a fun unusual collection and we'll get to all of it shortly yeah but before we do that folks we should take a second to thank our sponsor this episode of the fire and water podcast is sponsored in part by instocktrades.com instock trades is your best online source for trades hardcovers and other collected editions all for up to 42 percent off with free shipping for orders of 50 dollars or more so what'd you bring this time buddy 
I did Aquaman Deadly Waters Deluxe Edition hardcover. This reprints Aquaman numbers 49 through 56, which is including The Creature that Devoured Detroit. Uh, it's the it's the classic Steve Skeets, Jim Aparo, and Neil Adams run. Neil Adams did work on some issues of Aquaman. He did the Dead Man backups. Uh, these books were not uh, available in any form for decades, and it's only until recently that DC has finally gotten around to reprinting them. So the normal price, uh, this is 208 pages, features a gorgeous cover by Nick Hardy, although that's redundant. The normal price <laughs> is $39.99. In stock trades price is $23.19. You save 42% off. I mean, this is just some of the best Aquaman comics ever done, and I'm so glad that they're finally out in uh, reprinted form because it's they're just, they're just some of the best ever. So it's uh, super cool. So Aquaman, Deadly Water. It's the one that hooked me. Get it? Hook, uh, hook, Aquaman? I think I got <laughs> it, yeah. Uh, so just want to make sure you, you know, I know you don't always pick up on those things. Subtlety's not your thing. So I picked Aquaman Kingdom Lost Trade Paperback. So this collects issues 32 through 39 of the series from the mid-2000s, and it covers the Sub Diego saga, not the initial part of the Sub Diego saga, but the part after that, written by John Arcudi with, and Patrick Gleason's on the art. Uh, this feature is Black Mana. It, it's got, uh, well, it's got an Infinite Crisis crossover. I apologize for that. But it's got a lot I'm more sub Diego, but the reason I picked it is because it features the new Aqua Girl. You know, uh, yeah. uh, uh, Lorena, right? Um, yeah, Lorena. I, I blanked on it for a second. I almost called her Lorna. Lorena. And I absolutely thought she was a fantastic addition to the Aquaman mythos. I, I wish she was still around. She made a fantastic Aqua Girl. And I bring that up because the issue we're about to discuss actually has the very first Aqua Girl. So I thought there was some nice synchronicity there. So page count is 200 pages, full color. Again, the, the whole San Diego era was a wonderful return of classic Aquaman for us at the time. And it normally retails for $16.99. You can get it for 42% off, so it's only $9.85. Heck of a deal, folks. So please go out to In Stock Trades and uh, check out both of these books and tell them the Fire and Water podcast sent you. Also, we need to take a second to thank our other sponsors, which is you people at home, our Patreon supporters. Because running the Fire and Water Podcast Network with so many shows and so much online hosting, it costs quite a bit of money. And a couple of years ago, the price got a little out of hand. And so we needed some help. You guys stepped up. And I can honestly say, if it weren't for you people at home, the Fire and Water Podcast Network would not still be on the air. I sincerely uh, mean that. And I thank you all so very much. And if you are interested in supporting the show, you can go out to our Patreon. What's that website, Rob? Patreon.com slash FW Podcast. Thank you. And while you're there, you can consider supporting the Fire and Water Podcast Network. And in certain sponsorship tiers, you'll get mentioned on your favorite Fire and Water shows, just like, just like these folks who have chosen to support Aquaman and Firestorm. So our special thanks to Jason Pope, Jay Campbell, Robert Lewis, Kevin Culp, Adam Ackerman, David Ace. Is that show still on? Gutierrez and Gord Tolbert. <laughs> Again, folks, just visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash fwpodcast. So, Rob, what what exactly – I've been wondering. This is keeping me up at night. What exactly is a super DC giant? Well, uh, thank you for asking, Jake. Uh, it's almost as if you're reading the show notes. Despite the name, <laughs> uh, this series was not a treasury book, unfortunately, uh, or oversized in any way. Rather, the giant uh, came from the page count. This book uh, was regularly a 64-page anthology series, and it ran from 1970 to 1976, starting with issue S13. I don't know <laughs> why that means. And running to S27. It featured Oh, good, good old S27. Good old S27. <laughs> it, uh, it featured headliners as diverse as Binky, Top Guns of the West, Brave and the Bold, Love, just love, 
Three Mouseketeers, Jerry Lewis, The House of Mystery, Strange Flying Saucers, Supergirl, and, of course, Aquaman. There was a five-year gap between the last two issues. Like, so, who, who in the publishing staff remembered five years later to go, well, just call it S26? I mean, yeah. who, who remembered that? Yeah, I don't I, – I, so much of that stuff has to do with the weird um, mailing permits because it right, was, like, right. cheaper. So I wonder if they just were like, look, we, we, we don't want to put out – the last issue was about flying saucers. And I, I think they were probably just like, well, where, do we have a book we can shove this in? And somebody's like, I think we can still do Super DC Giant. Let's try that. So it's it's a very weird thing. It's a, It's a – uh, as we'll get into, an almost entirely reprint collection book. It's all just, you know, picking a character and then a bunch of stories. And this was around the time uh, that, uh, you know, DC and Marvel were directly competing with one another to flood each other off the market. So both companies were just putting tons of reprint titles out. And so, you know, DC, of course, had tons of material lying around. So a lot of these, you can see you just from the list I read, a lot of these concepts were not around anymore or they were dying on the vine. Jerry Lewis and romance comics, Binky, like that stuff was kind of going out of the, you know, out of style by 1970. Uh, Supergirl and Aquaman are like really the only two superheroes that get their own super DC giants. And this was right around the time uh, that uh, Aquaman was just about to be canceled. So it was, I was, I was going to ask, timing. Was, was there some impetus? I mean, the cartoon was off the air by this point, right? Yeah, yes, it was. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I'm just trying to figure out what would be the impetus to, to or was Man from Atlantis on TV, maybe? No, that was that was like 77. So this Jeez, is way okay. Before, yeah. I don't know why they did this. I have no, I have no idea why they did this, but I'm glad they did. Me it's too. A fun book. Yeah. I love the cover. Uh, it's got this nice, strong red border treatment around the whole thing, which just makes it pop. It might have been what made it jump out of the 50 cent bin for me. I'm not sure. But you get your Aquaman logo. You get the uh, four inset pictures. You get the creatures from Atlantis, including the origin of Aquaman. You get the world without water, where Aquaman's riding a whale with sharp teeth and feet. <laughs> the human flying fish, Rob's absolute favorite, and mm-hmm. the star of Aquaman 2, uh, coming soon to your motion picture. And uh, the shark with a human brain. Yes. So, uh, it's a, 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 again, I adore the cover. And uh, super fun. As drawn by Dick Giordano, uh, of course. Oh, you, you, good you point. Can't, you can't beat it. And it doesn't mention the one new feature that is in this comic book, which really makes this thing memorable. Again, we'll get to that. But it makes no mention of, an, you know, they could have put a little blurb on it, plus an all-new adventure, but they don't they don't bother with that. But, yeah, it's a nice cover. I mean, it's the design's pretty simple, just the four panels. And if any, Dick Giordano is actually redrawing the cover to showcase number 30. Which is reprinted, which is the top image drawn by Nick Carter. The other three images are, are unique, but the, yeah, it's it's a, it's a bold cover. I mean, it said the red is super bright and stuff like that, and they got the super DC giant bullet. This comic uh, pub was published. It went on sale May twentieth, nineteen seventy one. So yeah, it was literally as Aquaman as a solo title was being pushed out the door. Uh, they decided to do this. This is very, very strange. But if you go back and you go to Mike's Amazing World and you look at the covers of Super DC Giant, I mean, they really – this one is just kind of an amalgamation of what was in there. But they they uh, commissioned a lot of original covers for Top Guns oh. of the West. Okay. Uh, for, uh, for Super DC Giant. One is Top Guns of the West by, by Joe Kubert. It's beautiful. They some, There's some really nice stuff in there. And it, uh, you could probably get these still relatively cheap because they're just reprint books. But, it's it's again, it's a fun, unique little item. Before we leave the cover, I do have a question. Um, it does say Aquaman featuring the Sea King's most spectacular adventures. Is that is that truth in advertising, Rob? No, no. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, obviously, when they even though they had sixty four pages, 
uh, if they pr- decided to reprint, say, two full-length comics, that's it. That's all they could get. So, of course, they had to go for the shorter eight or nine pagers from Adventure. Now, I would still argue they didn't really pick, like, the best ones. But <laughs> nevertheless, uh, it was cool because for many decades, these were the only reprints available of any of the Ramona Frayden Aquamans. They really weren't reprinted in any regular way. They showed up once in a while, crammed in the back of a book. You know, action comics featuring, you know, reprints of Metamorpho, Rex the Wonder Dog, and Aquaman, and they would put one in there. But generally, these comics were not available at all. So this is, in some ways, the most coherent collection, because you've got three of them all in a row, which is... Actually, you a- four. There's one more that's not on the cover. The Aqua Girl story. Oh, that's right. There is the, that's right. I completely forget about the Aqua Girl story. So you've got four Ramona Frayden-drawn stories, which is a nice cross-section of what Aquaman was like in the 50s. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. Uh, and it's it, actually, uh, it's, it's uh, more than that if you count the, uh, the the main story, the one from Showcases even. Even though it wasn't those backup strips, it's still Ramona Fairden. That's true. That's yeah. true. All right, let's get into it, man. All right, so yeah, the first story is, again, we're going to do very short synopses uh, of these stories because uh, the thing, we're, we'll, we'll explain why we're even doing the show uh, shortly. Well, we can't get to all this. Because <laughs> it's Aquaman. Um, it's a firewater well, podcast. Yeah, well, there's that, but there's another reason, too. Uh, but anyway, the first story is The Creatures from Atlantis. It's by Jack Miller and Ramona Fraden. It's from showcase number 30. And the showcase uh, run of Aquaman was his tryout before he got his own book. That was then. They did three issues of showcase featuring Aquaman. Uh, four issues, excuse yeah, me. I was going to say it was four issues, and this four. was the first one. Yeah. And they, that was the test to see if Aquaman could, uh, for the first time, headline his own title. And obviously, these sold fairly well, or the response was good, because he immediately got his own book after this. But anyway, The Creatures from Atlantis is about Aquaman returns to Atlantis to combat a group of invading aliens who have enslaved the city and are forcing them to build a strange weapon which will help them conquer Earth. Calling in Aqualad for help, oh God, Aquaman defeats the aliens, <laughs> and Atlantis rewards him by making him an ambassador to the surface world for them. So, on top of this being a fun story, because it's Aquaman fighting aliens and stuff, it features a recap of the origin. Uh, and it features, you know, the, one of the great iconic panels of, of Aquaman's origin, which is Tom Curry at the lighthouse looking off at Alana as she's sitting with her baby son, uh, staring off into the sea, you know, strangely pondering the sea. And he's like, she sits there for hours. Every time, for many, many decades, every time Aquaman's origin was told, they did this panel. <laughs> Every single time. So uh, it's fun to just, you know, again, of course, this being the first full-length Aquaman comic book, they needed to retell the origin and give people up to date. But, I mean, and the end panel is great with the, or the end page with Aquaman as a young boy commissioning, com- commanding all the uh, the fish, or at the end of the chapter one, I mean. It's a, it's a really fun story. It's a fun adventure. So, I, you know what I noticed something for the first time reading this one here is that in here, Atlanta is not identified as the queen. No. Um, or royalty at all. I, I guess I never noticed that. Now, in the original version of his origin from – as I look at this comic, I'm also looking as, at my Aquaman archive, the hardcover collection. Mm-hmm. And it's got the original origin there as well as this retelling. Because um, it's interesting. A lot of this is just not redrawn, but the panels are very similar, the storytelling, to his first the first time they told his origin. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is interesting. You and I did an episode of Secret Origins not too long ago where we talked about the reprinting of Aquaman's Secret Origin. And you had mentioned that was the only time that had been reprinted for a long time. 
And I kept saying I had read it. I had read it. Well, I'm realizing I'm sort of conflating the Secret Origins issue I bought from the 70s. I reprinted that. And this issue here that I bought of mm-hmm. S26, because both retail Aquaman's origin in pretty much the same way. Mm-hmm. So um, either way, I, the, the origin was great. I, I do like the monsters. A lot of fun little bits in here. Uh, I, I think um, – the, there's a there's a particular moment where Aquaman has had enough of the aliens' crap, and he gathers his, all of his forces, all of the underwater forces, to attack. And I, and it's a really impressive couple of panels where the, all the sharks and the and the whales and the turtles and everything are, are getting ready to mass on Atlantis. And I was actually genuinely excited. I'm like, all right, here we go. We're going to go kick some ass. Let's go. And then we get to the next page and they all get blown away in one shot. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> it's fortunate, yeah. I was like, oh, I was, like, I was, I was disappointed. But it is beautiful. It's Ramona Fraden. It's absolutely stunning. She does a great job. There's, there was, uh, one particular face which cracked me up, but I'm not going to find it now. Oh, well. Where it was a close up on his face and he was just like, rawr. Aquaman <laughs> looked furious. Oh, there it is. It's the bottom of page 13 of the reprint, but 11 of the story. And a bottom left hand corner. And, uh, they've got, they're, they're holding Aquaman and he just oh, looks yeah. so intense. You know, Wait, who are you? Where do you come from? And why have you enslaved the Atlanteans? Yeah, put a beard on him. That could be a Momoa's intensity right there. But uh, <laughs> anyway, it's a fun story. Yeah, it's good. Except it's, it's, I agree that the, the big moment of all the – that one panel of all the uh, Finney friends is really impressive. And then, yeah, they get they all get their asses handed to them in the very next panel, which <laughs> right. is undercuts it. But nevertheless, it's fun. I like the, the, the weapon that the aliens have, that it melts buildings. That's fun. They're just turning them all, all these giant skyscrapers into giant slag and things like that. That's really cool. And the aliens design, I mean, this re- reads very much like uh, one of the filmation cartoons because he was constantly fighting aliens in that cartoon. Right. Uh, they were just, it was one alien race after the next invading and building a weapon. And they all kind of talked like this. <laughs> uh, that's that kind of thing here. But nevertheless, it's great that the origin is worked back in and it's a fun event. And it actually does kind of set up the storyline is that Aquaman is kind of becomes the, they, they, he becomes more connected to Atlantis, which of course is something that would continue with the character for the rest of eternity. Right. Um, but here they kind of definitely make the, the, they establish it back that he is going to be regularly visiting Atlantis. And, uh, the ending is a little like the ending where he grabs the, the gun off the bad guy's belt mm-hmm. and then zaps him away to their dimension. That one, that, that ending doesn't sit well with me because it didn't really, they didn't foreshadow it enough. It kind of comes out of nowhere, but that's very silver agey. It really mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. But overall, the story works as a great tryout. And it's exactly like you said, it, it showcase was a tryout book. And, you know, if I was new to Aquaman, I mean, you got gorgeous art, you get Aquaman's origin, you get a great set of bad guys. It was a great way to hook kids. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, all right. Let's move on to a world without water. Written by Joe Millard, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, with art by Ramona Fraden, uh, from Adventure Comics number 251. An atomic explosion hurls Aquaman 5,000 years into the future. There he meets Zed-3, a member of the Science Bureau that is constructing a time machine that could return Aquaman to his own time. Now, before returning to his own time, Aquaman discovers that water does not exist in the future. Some sea life remains, having adapted to living on land. And when a renegade scientist tries to steal the time machine, Aquaman commands the former sea life to stop him. The animals obey Aquaman and prevent the theft. And Aquaman then uses the time machine to return to 1958. So, uh, this one is probably my, well, no, it's my, never mind. It's not my least favorite. It's probably my second least favorite. Um, it, it, the art wise is great. I love the art. The story's a little goofball. 
where he, oh, he's completely goofball. Yeah, I mean, he an atomic bomb goes off, you know, and he happens to be in the wrong spot, and it sends him through to the future. And I love the guy who goes, "You just materialized in front of my car. You must have come through time." <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Thanks, Captain Science. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> but uh, you know. It, the, the part that makes me laugh, but like in a happy sort of um, innocent way, is the animals adapted to the land. I, I love the, the giant whale with legs, and, and I love the fish that now have uh, the flying fish that have talons like a bird. Mm-hmm. So, what do you what do you think of this one? It, it's very silly, and you have to remember this is from 1958 when DC. Every single one of their superheroes was basically getting thrown into sci-fi. You know, Batman was going to alien planets by this point. So they were just shoehorning every character who didn't necessarily even have it. I mean, obviously, easy to write a Superman story uh, involving aliens or Green Lantern or even the Flash. But it didn't matter. Every character had to get in on it. So it's like, yeah, Aquaman gets beamed into the future where he meets a bunch of mutated fish. And he meets everybody that look like uh, Flash Gordon rejects because they've all got like their little head gear and they've got their ray guns and stuff. And then they even kind of suggest that maybe the whole thing was a dream because it's like, you know, it's like, oh, did he get hit in the head maybe or something like that? You're like, no, it's it's very silly. But you have to it's pure 1950s, uh, you know, sci fi phantasmagoria kind of thing. And as we're going to be saying in every story, it's beautifully drawn. I mean, oh, yeah. uh, the, the cityscapes as drawn by Ramona Frey, and there's this wonderful panel. It's page four of the story of, uh, this, of, of what this, this future city looks like with these super, uh, strangulated highways. Right. They're like, you know, a thousand feet off the ground and the buildings look great. I mean, it's, it's designed within an inch of its life. And I, again, I love the, as you talked about, the mutated sea animals look really cool, but it's, it's just nonsense. You know, I mean, even for an Aquaman story, it's nonsensical. So in 1958, uh, coloring is, you know, this coloring is obviously from 1970. But in 1958, did he have yellow gloves still? They, uh, the, yeah, they have color, quote unquote, I'm putting my fingers up, corrected this one to make all of his gloves green. Because that's what Aquaman looked like by the 1960s. But no, he had yellow gloves at this point. And then if you'll... There is no strong demarcation point. Uh, there's points where he has yellow gloves and then he has green and then he'll have like yellow again for an issue and then green again and then eventually just green, all, you know, permanently. He's got yellow mm-hmm. gloves on the cover of Brave and Bold 28 for Pete's mm-hmm. sake. So they kept zipping it back and forth. But when, yeah, when they decided to reprint these stories, they went in and changed them green to make it consistent. I, I ask because of a story that's coming up, but we'll, we'll get to that, yeah. I guess, when we get there. All right. So, all right. Yeah. The next one is, uh, yes, the human flying fish. Star of Aquaman uh, 2 coming to theater right. soon. That's right. The, I still say, I, okay, two things. Well, there will never <laughs> be an Aquaman 2. I'm, I'm calling the shot now. I, never well, be no, Aquaman you called the shot two years ago. Or okay. Two years ago. I, I agree with you at this yeah, point. There'll right. never there be an Aquaman be. 2. But if they did do one, if they did, they should do a cold open like the James Bond movies where Aquaman is fighting this guy dressed like this who's like a crook. And he's, a, you know, he catches up and he's like, Aquaman's like, you know, oh, yeah, who are you? And I know, realize my Aquaman sounds like the Kool-Aid man, but that's all right. And the guy says, like, I am the human flop. And then Aquaman decks him and knocks him out. So he never gets to say his whole name. That, to me, would be the great opening. And then you cut to the guitar music or whatever. So whatever. So anyway, this is The Human Flying Fish by Robert Bernstein and Ramona Frayden from Adventure 272. Uh, ex-swimming champ Vic Bragg is surgically altered by his criminal partner, Dr. Krill, 
The surgery converts Bragg's lungs into gills. It gives him fish-like abilities. Once recovered from the operation, Bragg becomes the human flying fish, because why not? The flying fish begins committing robberies in the ocean. Well, where else is he going to commit them? Aquaman tries to catch the villain, <laughs> but he manages to escape to the air. The next time the crook strikes, Aquaman is able to retrieve a stolen ruby, but the flying fish escapes again with the help of Dr. Krill. Aquaman decides to plant a trap for the crook. The flying fish arrives to take the bait. Uh-huh. Aquaman and his fish friends capture both the fish and krill and turn them over to the Coast Guard. So, okay, you know, laugh if you will, and you will, because it's ridiculous. Uh, this is Aquaman's first costumed superhero in any real way. Supervillain, excuse me. His first costumed supervillain in any real way. He had Blackjack the Pirate in the 40s, but that guy really was just a pirate. This is really the first full-on sort of powered supervillain that Aquaman ever had. I'd like to point out that Rob did, in fact, give me permission to laugh. (laughs) This guy guy looks like a real threat. (laughs) Yeah, how can you not have the guy? Obviously, E. Nelson Bridwell loved him because he brought him back after 20 years uh, in in obscurity for Super Friends number one. Or... Or he couldn't get permission for Aquaman's three other villains. Oh yeah, oh, I'm sure that I'm sure there was a big call for not using the fisherman. Uh, no, I, oh, I wouldn't even think of him. I was going with Scavenger, Ocean Master, and Black Manta. Oh, but yeah, okay, okay. okay. For, for fisherman in there, I guess. Now, so not only did he use him for Super Friends number one, he also used him for the Super Friends children's book that was put out around the same time, Revenge of the Super Foes. He uses uh, human flying fish in that. So I mean, obviously, uh, Nelson Bridwell liked him. If maybe nobody else did. Well, that 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 was always a stamp of good taste, right there. So um, now, come on, <laughs> I'm just teasing. So no, it, it's super fun. I because I don't. I know I've read the story, but I didn't remember it until I read it for this. So uh, the, all the surgeries he had to go through and all the operations and everything. I mean, that was pretty crazy because it was how many months was it between the surgeries and when the guy like finally. Uh, just as months later, okay. Mo- months later, yeah. He t- months later, it's all leading up to this costume, and yeah. like, oh gosh. But I think uh, Ramona was having a laugh with this one. I really think so. But he looks. I mean, when he's flying, it looks kind of cool. I mean, he looks pretty. Like on page uh, three of the story, when he's whoosh and he flies away, it's pretty impressive. The wings are cool. The the, the design of the wings are pretty cool. It's just they're colored. Orange. I mean, this, again, you'll you'll see some of the pages from this comic on our website, FireAndWaterPodcast.com. So for those of you who don't know this costume, he's got orange, yellow, purple, and white. I mean, it just looks absurd. It's and stripes just, and chainmail. Stripes, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> and nuts. scalloped wings. I mean, it's it's not quite as bad as Signal Man, but it's it's up there. It's up, it's up, there, up there, yeah, yeah. Uh, but again, we, we keep saying it. Some, this this one actually has my second favorite artwork in the in the whole issue. It's absolutely stunning. Uh, I love the I, the human flying fish. Just has a really really great. I mean, it's goofy, but a great specific look. Like you look mm-hmm. at that guy, and you're not mistaking him for anyone else. The <laughs> no. line, well, I, the lines are also really clean on him. The lines of the fish are. I mean, I don't know why. Maybe it's the inker. I, I don't. Maybe or she inked her own stuff. Maybe she I don't know. She inked her own stuff. Yeah. Okay, but this one, and again, one other story we're going to touch on. I just feel like it's the most polished of all the issues uh, of all the stories in here. I think it just looks stunning, panel by panel. It really it's, does. It's incredibly clean storytelling when you think about how much had to be crammed into any given page. Uh, when you, you, know, you compare them to comics nowadays, where you know a whole page is somebody walking into a room, but here, <laughs> you know, they had to do a ton of stuff. And by the way, I just love the. She was able to do so much with so little. I love the last panel where Aquaman and Aqualad are kind of rubbing it in that they got one over on on human flying fish, and he yeah. just looks so pissed. 
He does. Just has, his face is just like, it's, and again, hard to look grim in that outfit, but, uh, you know, he just looks <laughs> humiliated. I love page five where the octopus is got Aquaman suspended above the water so that he could potentially grab the human flying fish. Cause Aquaman, you know, can't figure out how to get the guy who's in the air. So the octopus is actually holding Aquaman up in the air as he swims through the water. I think it's hilarious. Yeah. It's good. And he throws him. <laughs> yeah. It's great. It said it's, it's really fun. And then this was the beginning of these writers sort of moving on. You can see how common, you know, a lot of these backup features went from, sci-fi-ish concepts or fantasy concepts to becoming more superhero concepts because at this point Aquaman starts getting some villains yep. uh, he had another villain called the Electric Man who didn't last past, past one issue but nevertheless it was a guy with electric power so they were starting to do this and then of course by the time he gets a series then you got Black Man and Ocean Mist or whatever but it's, this was really the beginning of that again not a most auspicious debut but it's still cool that Aquaman starts getting villains like any other normal superhero all right, well, let's move on. The, the, here we go, folks. This is the winner in, in, in uh, of the stories for me here. Uh, this is my personal favorite. The First Aqua Girl by Robert Bernstein and Ramona Fraden from Adventure Comics number 266 uh, in 1959. Aboard her yacht, Lisa Morell, I guess that's how you say it, sees a man trapped underwater through the glass bottom of the boat. Quickly, she dives in to save the man. She's able to free him from the giant clam, which has him pinned. I hate when that happens. Uh, the man is Aquaman, and while freeing him, Lisa remains underwater for over five minutes. Now, Lisa continues to display her powers that are similar to Aquaman's. She can swim at amazing speeds, communicate with sea life, and has the one-hour limitation for remaining out of water. She takes the name Aqua Girl and joins Aquaman on patrol. She assists Aquaman, but her powers suddenly vanish. Aquaman explains that she was born in Atlantis. Some children born there could not adapt to the underwater world and were sent away. Her purple eyes are the physical sign that she is one of these children. Her parents found her in the ocean and kept her for their own. Her temporary powers are now gone forever. All right, buddy, you go first on this one. I, I love this one, and it's fun to have, you know, obviously the doppelganger idea. Uh, there were, we just mentioned Aqua Girl. There would be many other Aqua Girls to come, but she was the first one. Uh, and, you know, we're going, we can't, we're repeating ourselves, but we can't help it. The art is just off the chain great. And Ramona, yes. Ramona Fraden draws the most beautiful women imaginable. I mean, this, this Aqua Girl looks like Marilyn Monroe or Veronica Lake or Betty Grable, like a 1950s pinup uh, girl. Again, it's, it's, she's beautiful and she's certainly alluring, but not purient. It's not uh TNA obviously, because this is the 1950s, but she's in like a bathing suit. I mean, it's just, is it's the most gorgeous woman you've ever seen uh, here. And it's just, it's great. And it's a, it's a wonderfully fun story. And you even get, uh, a bunch uh you get um, uh, a bunch of uh, flying fish or not flying fish excuse me i was looking at the last story you're getting you're getting aquaman's funny friends uh, playing instruments uh, singing happy birthday song well and this one is so infamous i mean it, there there's always been talk of the topo playing you know the, it, i don't know if there's another one of topo playing all the drums or something like that there but, are yeah okay well this is the one i always remember where he's playing all of these different instruments yep. so maybe again maybe there's another famous one i mean we got it in the movie for goodness sakes yep. that's how famous topo playing the instruments was um it, it, you you said everything i was going to say as far as it being stunning i mean she is so smoking hot i mean i needed a minute after i got done reading this thing i was like oof and uh, and I asked you earlier about the yellow gloves versus green gloves, specifically because of this story. Because in the story, Aquaman has green gloves, but she has yellow gloves. Right. And I was like, huh, 
well, is that just a really clever throwback or the colors recut? Well, sure enough, yes. Uh, I'm actually – I got out my archive. It's in my hand. But all that's this story's also reprinted there. Yes, both her and Aquaman have yellow gloves. Uh, interestingly enough, on page one, there's there's a box here. This is long before he met and married Mara. Aquaman encountered another amazing Aqua girl. Uh, another girl, one who possessed exactly the same underwater sea powers as the Marine Marvel himself in the tale of their meeting, the amazing fate that uh, awaited the first Aqua Girl. Well, in the original one, it's a whole different block of text. Right. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and read the whole thing, but it just, it's, the story is actually called Aquaman meets Aqua Girl is what it's actually called. Right. Because when they, when they reprinted it, they obviously had already introduced Tula. So therefore, because I mean, you wouldn't call yep. Aqua Girl the first Aqua Girl unless you had had a second Aqua Girl already. Right. Well, it, actually here, yeah, yeah, it makes me, yeah. Um, but great story. It's interesting. Also the purple eyes here. Now this is, um, 1959. So Aqua Lad, wasn't he 58 or, uh, no, Aqua Lad, I think Aqua Lad comes in two issues after this. Oh, okay. Well, it's interesting. The purple eyes become yeah. a reoccurring yeah. thing there, right? Uh, I guess Atlanteans hate all people with purple eyes, huh? Yeah, they're terrible people. Terrible, terrible people. <laughs> One of the other details I noticed that uh, Ramona Frain draws is Aquaman's A on his belt mm-hmm. is huge. Like it's it's in you know in, in modern drawings it's just barely the, the the higher than his actual belt. But when she draws it, it's like he's got uh, I don't know, almost like I, it, it, you look like if he did any sort of crunches, it would stab him in the stomach. It's so. <laughs> They eventually realize that looks really kind of uncomfortable. That panel where, and it's page uh, 51 of the book, it's the sixth page of the story, where she's like, what happened? I felt as I would have drowned down here. And you see the A is slightly crunched under his stomach, and you're like, I think they realize, God, that's probably really stabbing him in the midsection. So they eventually worked that down. <laughs> I never noticed that. I didn't. Um, so how did Aquaman get trapped by a big clam? I don't, I don't quit that. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know why he, the clam wouldn't open up for him and stuff like that. <laughs> it's, right. a, it's a sea creature. Come on. What's going on there? But yeah. I, but you just I, go with it. Yeah. You just go with it. Again, I was gone by the, the visuals of it is just so oh my beautiful. Gosh. It's just unreal. So, I mean, heard that opening splash page of her and the clam and she's, she's scratching the seal's head with her hand. Like the seal is kind of like looking at her like, you know, oh my God. It's just, she's got, a, she's got an eel around her hand too. I mean, she's yeah. absolutely, her hair just underwater, the way it flows. She's stunning. Yeah. She's absolutely gorgeous. When you go forward to page five and she's, um, oh no, it's not page five. I'm sorry. Uh, page six when she's losing her powers. I mean, it's, she, she's in a helpless mode. So I, that's a little sad, but it's still illustrated beautifully where she's just beautiful. She's yeah. absolutely stunning. Mm. It's a great, great story. And it's a great pick for them to, to reprint. It's fun. So, it's a lot of fun. It is. So, all right, the last uh, reprint story is... <laughs> oh, gosh. The Shark with the Human Brain by Jack Miller and Ramona Fraden from Adventure Comics number 203. The crook known as Shark Wilson, hey, that's going to be handy, escapes from prison. He heads for a beach where legend has it that the sand will transform men into fish. Aquaman then encounters a real shark with Wilson's face. The shark displays amazing intelligence, but Aquaman and his fishy friends defeat it. The shark then disappears, and Wilson is found on the beach. Aquaman wonders whether the legend is true, and Wilson was really the shark. Okay. Uh, I mean, all right. Uh, well, is it, yeah. Let's start by saying it's the oldest one in the collection. It is the oldest one in the collection, yes. And uh, it feels like that. <laughs> okay. Uh, I mean, there's a, a couple things. I mean, it... It feels like this is Aquaman kind of running afoul of a Dick Tracy villain because <laughs> Shark Wilson, we, before we see Shark Wilson turn into the shark, we see his face. He's already plug ugly. 
Like True. his face is really distorted and stuff. And when he actually becomes a shark, it is like nightmare fuel. I mean, it is just insane. <laughs> There's this shark with this human face on it. And it is just grotesque as all get out. And it, again, it's just goofy as, as heck. And it even ends with Aquaman talking directly to the camera, which is right. very funny. It's a, it's, it's a weird one. I mean, the art's fine. Um, it, it's my least favorite of the collection. It's only uh, six pages. So, I mean, they right. knew they couldn't get a whole lot about the, the, a shark with a fish with a human face on it. But, but what interests me more is on the last page, the half page ad for gigantic, strange, uh, adventures mm-hmm. and uh, attack of the flying gorillas. I really <laughs> want to read that now. <laughs> it's like a King Kong sized gorilla who's got wings. See, and Julie Schwartz was right. Gorillas, att- you want to buy it? Exactly. And he's attacking a plane. I'm like, I, I really want to see that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a very very silly story, and uh, there's not you know there's not much to say about it other than it's just funny to look at Aquaman again. It's like a fantasy sequence, you know. I mean, it's like it's not. Shark Wilson doesn't have superpowers exactly because he kind of transforms, but he sort of does. It's it's kind of like, yeah, I hate to say neither fish nor fowl kind of thing. Um, but again, Ramona Frey does the best job possible with this absurd premise. I imagine when she got the scripts, you know, every month, she must have been like, what the hell? All right, okay. Well, we know she didn't like superhero stuff, so. We do know that, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Well, it almost seems like maybe it was a, a bit of a showcase, too, for sea life. Like, you get some octopus action, you get a swordfish action, you get flying fish action. You get uh, whatever these boxing shrimp are. So you, you get a, you get a, you know you get the blowfish. It it may have been like the the writer just had a passion for let's use as much sea life as we can and maybe you know whatever. But yeah, why not? We spend more time on it than we should. Yeah, probably. <laughs> so all right, uh, those are the reprint stories in this comic, and uh, as I mentioned, not on the cover uh, is a there is a one new feature. It is a two page text piece prose story featuring Aquaman called Island of Fear. Uh, it is the only Aquaman pro story uh, DC has ever done to this, well, at least to this point. Uh, and I mean, not, not only is it, you know, brand new to this collection, uh, and it features some spot illustrations by Sal Almondola and Dick Giordano. It's written by Steve Skates, Aquaman's mm-hmm. one of the great Aquaman writers of all time. And I don't, I, I have, I've, been lucky enough to talk to Steve a couple different times in the context of his work in comics. I never gotten around to asking him this, uh, why this was even done. I mean, why did they, did they think, I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's, it's mind boggling. If there's any character you would think that really doesn't lend himself to a prose adventure, <laughs> it's, it's, it's Aquaman, but nevertheless, this thing exists. And the, this is the whole reason that we did this show. And uh, yep. Shag, Shag, do you want to explain why we, we sort of, you know, retrofitted this episode for, for sure. this segment? So we got an email about this story from someone out of the blue, at least as far as I know. I, I did not know that this was being prepared. At least I do not recall that this was being prepared. We got an email from Isamu, the son of Zoom Yukonori, um, our beloved friend, member of the podcast network, who passed away about nine months ago, uh, ten months ago now. Oh, my gosh. Um, and... Isumu informed us that his father, um, some point before he passed away, had recorded himself reading this story. Uh, and, and we were just floored. We're like, what? I, we, we didn't even know. And, uh, we, we sat on it for a while. I guess we just, you know, we, we weren't really quite sure what to do. And then we finally got around to figuring it out. And that's why we're here today. And it is amazing. You guys are going to hear it in just a second, but, um, 
Well, should we play it first and then talk about it? Well, I, I, I want to give I want to give a little bit of preface here is that but what you're about to hear is that, yeah, uh, Isamu emailed us and said, you know, my father recorded uh, actually some some other audio. He recorded a lot of audio uh, once Zoom realized that he was ill. He decided to really plug away and write, record a whole bunch of stuff. And so but but uh, Isamu didn't really tell us anything about this other than this was Zoom narrating the story. And I had the email and I didn't listen to the file immediately because I was busy with other stuff. And I didn't immediately think, well, what can we do with this? Because it's just this audio of, of Zoom probably reading the story. And I'd probably we'd have to like do a lot of post-production work or whatever. And I, you know, we just moved on to we went on to other things and I sort of put it aside. Then we realized oh, I should go back and listen to that. So I went back and listened to it. And as you're all about to hear, it's a full-on production. <laughs> there's sound effects. Of course it is. There's music because of course it is. Because Zoom never did anything half-assed or even quarter-assed or three-quarters-assed. He always did everything full out. So this thing was a finished piece because, again, because of course it was, because it was Zoom. And once we realized we had this, this wonderful thing, it's this great, unique Aquaman story narrated by our dear departed friend Zoom, we were like, well, we're just going to build a show around this piece of audio. To quote Ed Wood, this is the acorn that will grow a mighty oak. So <laughs> we decided to do this. So that's what you're about to hear is this seven minutes of Zoom narrating this really fun story. And it's, again, it's, it's everything we loved about Zoom. Maybe not everything, but it's, it's so many things we loved about Zoom, his obsessive nerdiness, and for him to do this kind of on the, on the down low and then send it to us. You know, for us to get this you know, seven or eight months later after he passed is just unbelievable. I, I, I got to say something, and, and this is a little bit of dark humor, I guess, folks, but Zoom Ikenori has, has been gone now for almost a year, and he's still producing better stuff than me. I uh, Zoom, you, you bastard. <laughs> I he's love you, network, man. He's on the network more than Nathaniel. <laughs> You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Yeah, it's just perfect. I mean, a couple of months ago, Ryan and Chris – did a, a dramatic uh, reading of a Batman prose story, uh, which came off really well. And so we thought, I always thought that'd be kind of fun to do. And then bang, we get this thing from zoom. So we beat me to the punch, even though we recorded it like a year ago. It's just, again, none of us prompted him to do this. He just did it all on his own. And I can't think of a better way to present this story. The uniqueness of this story. Again, it's the, it's the, the one Aquaman prose story that DC has ever published. Uh, and, and we get to hear our pal uh, do this wonderful reading for it. So it's, we're just so happy to be able to present this to everybody. Yeah. So folks on our website, we will put uh, the scans of these images too. So you can see the pro story. You can see the spot illustrations that went with it. Uh, I think we're going to forego the traditional sign off this time. And uh, I think we're just going to let uh, zoom play us out here. Is that fair? Yeah. We should always, always, always give zoom the last word. Yeah. All right, folks, fan the flame. And ride the wave. Island of Fear by Steve Skates. Originally published by DC Comics Incorporated in Super DC Giant S26, July-August 1971.
the inability to function. People sitting in front of their small old homes. People aimlessly wandering the streets, waiting for something, anything to happen. Unable to do anything on their own, waiting for the island to act upon them. Why do they wait? Why can't they act? You walk through the streets. You look at these people and you wonder, what has happened to them? What is wrong with them? And then you laugh, laugh at yourself, laugh at your indifference, at your detached point of view. How can you simply wonder what has happened to these others? How can you separate yourself from them? You are as they are. You too are unable to function. You weren't always this way, but now you dare not do anything. Yes, that's it. You dare not. You are afraid. Somewhere deep within you is a cold, numbing fear. You know not what it is you fear. But still, it is there, this fear, clawing at your insides, cold, numbing, paralyzing. You look toward the center of the island. There, upon high ground, within the castle fortress, upon a huge golden throne, sits the leader, the president, the king. A man not touched by this fear. You have seen him at public speeches. You have seen him as he walked among the people. He is smug, unafraid. Why has this one man, among all others, been spared? Could he perhaps be the cause of the fear? Do the people, do you, fear him? Fear his wrath? Yes, that could be the answer. And yet, no. You must not dwell upon this any longer. You must not think about it. That only heightens the fear, makes the hands shake and grow clammy, causes the sweat to flow. You walk down to the shore. Trying to forget, trying to think about something, anything else, and you watch as a man steps out of the water and onto the sand. He is a strong man. He walks proud. You have seen him before, Aquaman, King of the Seven Seas. Yes, that's who he is. You watch as he walks toward the island center. You stare at him, you think about him, and you try to forget all else. Aquaman knew that Tigart would be waiting for him, but that no longer mattered. Tigart had gone too far this time. The Sea King had never been able to stop this tyrant from enslaving his own people, but now he was trying to extend his power. He had to be stopped. Thank <laughs> you.
A bullet whizzed past Aquaman's head. He saw the gunman not far up ahead. The shot had been too far off. It was almost as though this man had purposely missed. The Sea King knocked him unconscious with a single blow. Then he was inside the castle. Tigard's other guards fell just as easily, and soon there were just the two of them face to face. The Sea King spoke not. Instead, he lunged forward, hit Tigard. The force of the lunge knocking a closed door off its hinges and carrying the two into another room. Tigard flew forward. This time, only to meet a powerful left fist, which sent him reeling back. He fell against the machine. A loud crackle was followed by a bright flash of electrical energy. Then the machinery began to sizzle and snap as Tigard fell to the floor. Suddenly, you realized that you had completely slipped your mind. You had forgotten who you were. You were invisible. You had no personality, no motivation. But now, that's all coming back. Now you want to do something. There are so many things you want to do. You race through the streets, looking at people, smiling at them, and waving, and they wave back. And you notice that they too have become active, motivated, cheerful, and smiling. Yes, smiling, for the first time in many, many years.